Hi, I'm Tom Luna. I'm a former school board member. I was privileged to serve as senior advisor to U.S. Secretary of Education, Rod Page. I also had the honor of serving for eight years as Idaho State Superintendent of Public Instruction. During that time, I also served as president of the Council of Chief State School Officers. One thing I have learned in all these experiences is that educating children is not rocket science, it's more complicated. On my podcast, Swimming Upstream, we will visit with courageous leaders who challenge the prevailing tide and inspire all of us to swim against the current. Let's jump in. Welcome back to another episode of Swimming Upstream with your host, Tom Luna. And uh, folks, we're uh, beginning season number two, and we're so excited about the opportunity to have Um, state leaders from around the country talk to us about the things that they're focusing on that improve education in their states and uh, some of the obstacles that they um, maneuvered as they were going about this important work. And today, our special guest is uh, Katie Anthes. And uh, Katie is the former, by one day, former (laughs) commissioner of education for the great state of Colorado. And uh, Katie, you and I have known each other for a long time. And um, um, our, our terms uh, overlapped each other. Um, but we're going to take a few minutes and learn a little bit more about you. And I'm going to start by just saying that, um, you know, many, uh, about a dozen superintendents around the country are elected and some are appointed. Uh, you're an appointed uh, state chief um, and you've served longer than most because as an appointed, you're not serving a specific term you know, uh, you really serve at the will of a board and yours is elected board. So um, congratulations on that. And uh, tell us a little bit more about your background um, quickly that led up to you being the commissioner there in Colorado. Sure. Well, thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on the on the podcast. I'm excited to be here. Um, Yeah, so I served as the Colorado commissioner for about seven years. I just stepped down. Um, My last day was yesterday, but I was helping the new commissioner uh, transition. I had I worked at the Colorado Department of Education a couple years prior to becoming commissioner in senior executive roles, um, working on educator effectiveness um, and and other other work there. Um, but I come into education from a slightly different perspective. I, I haven't had the traditional route of being a teacher and administrator. I I really worked on. Um, education research and then worked in the policy world. So um, kind of we're always um, thinking about public policy and what is high quality public policy and how can we create that and create the enabling conditions to have that help our systems at the ground level. So um, uh, I came into the commissionership, my board asked me to step in as an interim and I was interim for six months and then they uh, appointed me commissioner and seven years later, here we are. I'm ready to take a little bit of a rest. Well, interesting. You and I have a similar background. Um, I never had the opportunity to be a teacher or an administrator. I came from a different route also. And uh, we're seeing more and more um, commissioners, state superintendents, either elected or appointed around the country that that come from different routes than just the traditional teaching route. Um, What were some of the things that you did when you took office knowing that with all the experience you brought, you didn't bring classroom experience, you didn't bring district leadership experience uh, to the uh, uh, with you to, uh, to office. 
Yeah, well, that's an important point. And I was definitely aware of that coming in. And I told my board that coming in too. But, you know, I think the most important thing as a leader is to be self-reflective about where your blind spots are. And I was really aware that that was a blind spot. I, I never proclaimed to anyone, especially teachers, that I know what their job is like. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what I did is tried to fill my blind spots. So I said, I know policy better, but I don't know instruction as well. So that means I need to hire people around me that have really high quality instruction and that have been teachers before and that know that work. And, and so that's what I did. I created yeah. a team, a really strong team, and then we all filled each other's blind spots. Um, and, and I think that brings a good diverse sense of, of opinion and perspective and pathways. Yeah. And then the important thing is you listen to them, right? And, yeah, and you listen. Yeah, teacher, teachers of the year, superintendents of the year, there's great people out there that have that experience. It kind of reminds me of uh, the, the, the book uh, about Abraham Lincoln, Team of Rivals, right? Yeah. Where where he brought in the, the people that had the skills and experience he didn't. Yeah. And uh, that, so that's a, that's a great, because if we, if we're talking about swimming upstream, if, if you've never had a class classroom experience, we, you and I both know this classroom experience or district leadership uh, experience, and you want to be able to have a working positive relationship with those in the classroom and those with at the, at the district level, they definitely need to understand that you recognize what your strengths are and what you bring to the table and also recognize their strengths. And so that's, uh, that, that's, uh, that's I, the way you navigate one, that, right? Yeah, one of the important things I did was created a teacher cabinet. So I had a cabinet of teachers from around the state of Colorado. I also had a superintendent advisory group. And so, um, you know, I spent days with those folks listening to what it was like on the ground and um, and working with them that way, so. Now, Katie, you mentioned earlier that um, uh, you'd never been a teacher, but you recognized the importance of it. And one of the things that you focused on um, while in office was improving the um, the, the uh, programs that are out there that help prepare teachers, whether it's colleges of education or alternate routes that have been in place to help uh, get quality people into the classroom. Talk to us about why that was important, some of the things you did, and then again, how you navigated the obstacles, especially to um, bring alternate routes into teacher certification. Yeah, well, you know, we, when you're a state leader, you have multiple, you have problems that you need to solve and they have multiple aspects and components. And, you know, sometimes they have competing values within those programs or within those problems. So it's like, we know every state is struggling with teacher shortage. So we need to get more teachers into the field. Um, but we also need really high quality teachers. So yeah. you can't just open the pipeline completely. You need to make sure you maintain that quality. So Colorado, actually, I, I don't know if we are number one, but we have one of the highest numbers of alternative pathways to get into teaching. Um, but hand in hand to that, we um, have a, a division at the Colorado Department of Education that reviews and accredits um, with, with the state board approval, all programs. And you know, a couple of years ago, probably about five years ago, we said, listen, we really have to make sure, number one, we're going to start working on math too, but number one, um, we need to make sure that the literacy, the um, strong foundations for literacy are in place for all of our teachers. 
And so we really started to increase the bar on what it took to be um, approved by our State Board of Education. And that same bar exists for alternative programs. So we have regional service areas that can create um, preparation programs. We have even schools and districts can create their own preparation program. Um, and we also have traditional colleges and universities that have their traditional program, but they've also created alternative ones with, um, with residencies and those sorts of things. So we created really high quality review programs um, and slowly but surely we, we had to approve um, programs with conditional approvals. And if they didn't improve their programs, they wouldn't be approved by the, by the Board of Education. And so just recently, NCTQ came out um, and said that Colorado is the number one um, state for the type and quality of preparation programs for teachers, um, specifically to focus on um, scientifically based literacy instruction. So we're wow. really proud of that. And it took us five years to get there because it's slow, methodical work. Um, but I'm really proud of that. Um, but the yeah. team that did that at CDE and the Board of Education that that stood firm on those expectations. Yeah. So that that's fantastic work. I think you've identified that when you're in a situation where you have a teacher shortage, and we've seen this teacher shortage coming for a decade, uh, COVID definitely st stomped on the gas and amplified it, right? And, and, um, and, and we also know that once a child enters the school, the most important factor in their child's academic success is the quality of the teacher in the classroom. So how do you, uh, like you said, get more people into the profession without lowering the bar, right? Um, so talk to us about um, one of the obstacles I've seen other states struggle with is that when you start talking about alternate routes, then the traditional colleges of education, um, you know, that's their lane. That's what they do and, 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 and they do it well. And either they feel threatened or or maybe even a little uh, dismissed, you know, if, if you start talking about alternate routes, like they're not doing their job or what have you, uh, and they can get territorial a bit. So talk to us about how you navigated that resistance and, uh, <clears throat> and uh, pushback. Yeah. Well, Colorado has, you know, we have a long streak of independence and, um, yeah. And, and choice, you know, um, choices for different um, types of pathways for both students and professionals. Um, and, and so we have had those alternative pathways for quite some time. So I'm not sure if I had to manage some of that pushback as much as maybe predecessors did. Um, but I will say we had to manage some challenges around the increase in expectations. Yeah. Um, we used to we used to just frankly rubber stamp programs, just kind of be like, yep, you got the syllabus, looks good. Now we have a full team of people going into um, all the schools, all the alternative prep programs, um, looking, observing classroom teaching, looking at the materials they're using, interviewing candidates, interviewing the, the, the hiring 
people yeah. of those candidates to make sure they were prepared. So we, we have a much more robust process. And that did create some pushback um, because they weren't used to that. So, you know, it just took a lot of, we, we always went in with a spirit of collaboration saying, listen, we all want to get better. We can all agree on that. We can all agree that um, reading is the foundation for all other success. Yeah. Um, and, and we want to do this together. We don't want to put you on the spot. This isn't a gotcha, but it is about getting better. And little by little, these things take time, you know, work moves at the speed of trust. And we had to prove to those programs that we were willing to come in and work side by side and roll up with our sleeves. Um, and, and so over time, I have to give my credit to the team that did that because they went in with a helping hand and a, a collaborative partnership and, and little by little, um, everybody came on board and everybody wants to prepare the best quality teachers for our students. That's wonderful. So real quick then, uh, do you follow up then after a certain number of years with a, a program that's already been approved and they go through a, a similar type accreditation process, if you will, and uh, just to demonstrate that they're still meeting the mark. Yep, yep. they have to get renewals and we they have to go through a process at least every five years. Perfect. So let's, let, let's shift again real quick and talk then about early literacy. You mentioned that when you're talking about teacher prep programs, that that's an important component um, that every teacher is uh, well prepared to enter the classroom and, and help early learners to be literate. Um, at least at their age level. Talk to us about other things that you did in Colorado. I know that's another place where Colorado has been recognized for some good work is in early literacy. Yeah, well, we had um, our legislature passed the Colorado READ Act um, probably, probably about seven years ago when I started. <laughs> And, um, and then they did an update to the READ Act where they required all teachers um, to be trained in scientifically based reading. So that was one reason why we focused on ed prep programs, because we need to have all those teachers prepared. But we also had a bunch of teachers in the system already that needed to have that training. So we just completed a training program for all teachers across the state of Colorado in scientifically based reading. Um, and similar to the ed prep programs, you know, we need to see the results of that. We had a pandemic in the middle of it. So yeah, so the results aren't quite what we expected had the pandemic maybe not happened, but we are expecting to see some gains um, over time because of that intensive requirement and programs um, that we have instituted there. So, um, you know, it, it was voted, this is a unique fact, I guess, it was voted by 100% of the legislative body. Wow. Um, there was not one dissenting opinion. And that's actually a big deal because even though we can all agree on early literacy, like it meant that they all agreed on a specific type of teaching literacy. Um, it meant that they all agreed on this is important enough to have it be a requirement because we know different types of legislators may believe in, you know, the carrot approach or the stick approach. Well, yeah. they, they all agreed on this. It was a unanimous vote in the legislature. I suspect, uh, Katie, that that's um, evidence also of the confidence they had in you and, and those leading education efforts in, in the state. I, I think that 
I think one thing I read about you is that you were very active um, with the legislature. And um, and, and um, I think that some state chiefs maybe don't make that connection soon enough that the, the legislature, it, it is a political body, but they have so much control over the funding of education, not just how much, but how it's going to be spent. And then, like you said, programs like early literacy that need um, extra help and attention. So that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, they create the enabling environment for state chiefs to do their job. I mean, I can't require, I don't have the authority without yeah. them, without a, a state law to give yeah. me the authority to um, to do some of this work. So working hand in hand with them in partnership is, is just really critical. And yeah. I, I did spend a lot of my time trying to build trust in Colorado um, and actually building that trust when something's not on the line, you know, building relationships when when there's you're not in that intensive political piece, just going to have dinner with people, going um, to get to know them as people. And then you have that trusted foundation from which to move from when you need to give each other advice or yeah. or push back or um, or push forward or whatever you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's perfect. If, if the legislature only hears from you when you have something you want from them. Right. And it's always a crisis moment and um, the most important vote they'll ever make as a legislator type of a situation. Uh, it's tough to build that that relationship. So I, I think that that uh, proves well. I You know, you probably experienced this um, when legislators would call us with every education question they had we would always respond regardless of whether it was an important thing for us. But then I knew, you know, that they, um, that they trusted us, right. We were the people they were calling. And, and I think that that's the kind of relationship that, that you want and, 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 and need. Um, to, I want I want to shift gears again uh, one more time and talk about, you know, we talked about early literacy and you mentioned earlier how that is the foundation of all learning. Um uh, and, and so let's talk about high school then, right? Because um, I think if you do what you're supposed to do correctly in those early grades, then when kids get to high school, they'll have the ability and even the desire to take advantage of opportunities to do um, more than maybe they, they well, more than they uh, wouldn't be able to if they had, if they struggled in reading and math and things like that. So talk about the focus that you had when it came to high school and making sure that when students were there that they saw relevance, if you will, to what they're learning uh, and connecting it to what they see themselves doing after high school. Yeah, thanks. Well, we really had a strong focus and um, on what we would call sort of blurring the lines between high school, post-secondary workforce, careers, apprenticeships, you know. I, in order to get that relevance, I think um, students, students these days and really students every day, <laughs> um, you know, really want to see what are they learning and how does it make a difference in their lives and what can it draw them to? What can, what path can it paint for them moving forward? And so we really said we, we want to increase the number of options for our students in high school. We want to increase the relevance of high school. We want to build in work-based learning programs into high school. And, you know, I have to give credit to our governor and our legislature on this one too. They, they are really helping us with that enabling legislation and enabling grants to say, 
We want to move towards every high school graduate in Colorado having at least an associate's degree when they leave. So that provides more choices for students, no matter what they want to do. We would like it to be a meaningful associate's degree. So if they do want to go directly into a career, they can. Um, But even if they want to go into a four-year college or or get a master's degree, they would at least have two years of of that under their belt so they don't have to pay as much. They don't have to go into debt. Um, So it's really a win-win-win for everyone. Um, So we're trying to create more apprenticeships in Colorado. We're trying to create more our um, work-based learning opportunities. We're trying to create more concurrent enrollment opportunities. And we want to sort of create it all. We also have fifth-year college um, programs where the high school extends into a fifth year, but then they have, um, they come out with a meaningful credential where they can go right into the to career. So sure. We are exploring all sorts of ways and that has, you know this from your past work, that has a lot of um, strings into different policies that you have to look at. you know, school finance, how we fund students. We need to be more flexible in how we fund students so that um, students can get funding, even if they're taking a school a class in the college, or if they are getting work experience that they could get funded for that work experience and apply it to their learning in high school. So we're looking at all that. We're looking at school finance. We're looking at credentials. We're looking at how to increase concurrent enrollment. And we're looking at how to put apprenticeships in high school programs now. You know, you, I've got a follow-up question, but first I want you to talk a little bit more about, tell us how the students are responding when they see these opportunities in high school. They, they love it. I've, I've visited uh, so many programs. We have a couple um, innovation campuses here in the metro area where they are actually getting medical degrees, you know, uh, medical assistance degrees, um, you know, mental health degrees, uh, uh, aviation repair, maintenance degrees, um, all sorts of things. And the kids, you go there, they are so engaged. They yeah. see the relevancy. They're working with their hands. They're, they're understanding exactly what they're learning, how it's going to apply to their career path. Um, And it gives them a lot of information and ideas about what more they want to learn. It it fuels their their desire to learn as opposed to some of our old traditional sit and get class. It doesn't really fuel their desire to learn. But if you see kids working in a shop with a real airplane and they're doing maintenance on it, they're like, well, I could be a pilot or I could be maintenance. And here's what I need to learn if I want to do that. Right. And I want. So where do I find it? I want to learn more. Right. If if kids see relevance, rigor will take care of itself. But if they don't see relevance, it's hard to get them to perform at their their highest levels. Yeah, that's Talk, talk to us about how you get those kinds of opportunities. Uh, down into rural Colorado, right? Yep. I mean, there's that's swimming upstream, you know. That swimming sure upstream. Yeah. That so what we did, which we are super excited about, we had the unprecedented amount of federal funds come into the state from COVID relief. And you could use federal funds to re-engage students. And so we said, because we said, what if we incentivized rural districts who are next to each other 
partnering together because one rural district can't put an innovation center together like Cherry Creek School District can or like St. Brain School District can here in the metro area. But if you get partnerships with multiple school districts in a rural area, maybe like four or five within a half hour radius, um, they are now, we gave multi-million dollar grants to those districts who wanted to partner together to create, um, we call it rural co-action. So they're co-creating action together. One rural district may focus on a construction pathway. Another rural district may focus on a healthcare pathway. And then they work together to allow students to go back and forth to the districts and, and access those different pathways. So they don't have the money or the, or the resources or the land or the buildings to create one big innovation center but they can split it up and then share those resources among themselves. So we're just at the beginning of that, but we have incentivized several rural districts and regional service centers to create those opportunities for our rural students. It'd be fantastic to watch and see how that plays out, right? Because I, um, you brought up one of the positive, I don't know if positive is the right word, but uh, an, an opportunity that the funding from the COVID, uh, COVID uh, provided um, during, during your seven years in office, three of those years definitely were all driven by responding to COVID. And I, I would tell people that when I was in office, we dealt with the great recession mm -hmm. and, and that was difficult. That pales to what every state chief and educator and family dealt with. Well, the nation dealt with when, when COVID hit. And, um, so, um, we, we know plenty of the negative challenges. I think I read where you made a comment that, you know, uh, it's, it, it just took a lot out of you. Right. And, uh, and, and, and I can only imagine as a state chief, how much time and effort and uh, uh, emotional um, uh, that you spent, you know, uh, trying to deal with that. So, but, but talk to us about some of the, not necessarily the challenges, but um, oh, how, how you work through that and what what can we learn from that um, in, in, as we deal with other challenges going forward in, in education? Yeah. Well, one thing it, it forced uh, me to do as a leader and also um, our state government to do is actually work together across state agencies. I, I had always wanted to do that as a leader, but it just, I never had the time, you know, I never had the time to figure out what all these other agencies did in the state. And well, COVID forced that, um, you know, I am not an epidemiologist. I am not a doctor in that way. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, we needed help all of, and, and the same is true for the health for the health agency, they were not experts in education. They did not have, know how schools run. Um, you know, we were not all experts in logistics. So we had to work with the military because the military are experts in logistics. So what it really did is it forced all of our state government to come together to say, we all have to bring our expertise together to help, to help our communities. Yeah. Um, 
so that was one thing it did. We have deep partnerships now with the Department of Human Services to provide wraparound supports, um, to do, you know, our epidemiologists to know like what's happening when we have an outbreak of some kind, um, our military to get vaccines rolled out to local communities and, and rural pl places in a, in, a, in a workable way. Um, so, so that was one of the benefits of COVID is I think we got to know we, we got to know state government much better and know where we can pull those leverage points when we need them. Yeah, I think we, yeah, I love that. And uh, ho hopefully we'll see that continue to go through because there are those silos. And I, I love the way you described it. It's, um, you, did, you know, it, it takes time and effort and, and energy and um, the job of a state chief and I, I'm assuming to be the director of all the other agencies that you just mentioned are, are all encompassing also. So we talk about these silos. They're often there, not because people like them or um, they want them to stay there. It's just the time and effort necessary to, 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 to uh, you know, engage with them. So hopefully that will be a byproduct that will 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 benefit uh, yeah, from it's that old quote necessity is the mother of invention yeah, <laughs> so uh, other stuff will fill your time unless you have an emergency and if you have an emergency you need to learn how to work together yeah there you go well listen um you you've left a legacy there and 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 some things that you'll look back on and i will tell you as a former chief just the other day uh, a student uh thanked me for a program that we started that helped him get his associates uh, before he graduated from high school. And it was, it was just out of the blue, right? So this happens, you'll see that happen and you will, uh, you'll be rewarded in, in that way. Uh, but what, what's next? What's next for Katie Anthes? Well, um, I am going to take a little bit of a break. Um, I think, you know, we're very blessed if we get the opportunity to take a break and do some reflection because as you said, those jobs are all encompassing and you're just on to the next, you never get a chance to reflect on what you did and what you're passionate about and what you wanna do next. So I am purposely taking three months off. I My goal is to not say yes to anything <laughs> for a little bit of time because I wanna reflect, I wanna figure out where I want to move forward to, um, not be pulled toward. So I'm gonna to do that break and I know I will be back in the education ecosystem in some way I just I just want to take some reflection time to figure out where yeah you one thing you're going to experience is um all of a sudden the adrenaline's gone and it'll take you a while to figure that out that why, why am I feeling tired more uh -huh. than I used to but yeah the adrenaline rushes are gone yeah. but uh but you, you've served very very well and uh, appreciate you being here on uh, swimming upstream one last question. We yeah. ask all of our guests this, yeah. but share with us one fact or piece of trivia about Colorado that most people don't know. Okay. Well, um, Colorado is a wonderfully geographically diverse state. So we have some of the highest mountains and um, wonderful plains and farm. But I will say Colorado has the highest paved road um, in, in yeah. any state in the national park system. So our Trail Ridge Road is in Rocky Mountain National Park, and it is the highest paved road, I think, at least in the in the 48 um, states. Maybe Alaska has one, but I I, I don't I think you have many paved roads in Alaska. 
Exactly. So there are be. probably so I think we I think we win that, but you can go up as high as you can into the tundra. And uh, it's pretty cool if you ever get the chance. Fat fascinating. Thanks for sharing that. And Katie Anthes, thank you, former commissioner of Colorado by one day. And uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for all your work and dedication to the students of uh, and, and the children of Colorado and the impact it's had not only in Colorado, but across the country. Thank you for being a guest on Swimming Upstream. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And remember, our children may only be 22% of our population, but they represent 100% of our future. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. Swimming Upstream is part of the Stratagos Podcast Network. To view the entire lineup of our shows, visit our website, stratagosgroup.com.